Hello. Hi, Professor Altstadt. This is yes. uh, Rebecca Pereira from WMUA. Hi. I've got, I, I hear you clearly. My family lives in Ukraine. I've lived in Ukraine for quite a while, um, and I have like really strong connections with it, and like everything I have is basically there. Also, I'm Ukrainian, and uh, uh, yeah, there are tons of emotions, tons of, uh, uh, you know, I don't understand why it has to, you know, has to happen. I still have family in Ukraine. What brought you um, I'm Ukrainian, my family is Ukrainian, uh, my dad lives in Kyiv, Ukraine, um, so what's going on in the world directly impacts me, um, and my friends were so gracious enough to come out here too and support me and my family and my family's country. I'm currently in a class focusing on the breakup of the Soviet Union and Central Asian politics, but we've changed direction recently, um, and I've been... I'm Professor Audrey Alstead. I'm... In the history department, I've been at the university now for just over 30 years, and I was hired to teach the Soviet Union, which I do. Uh, and my my special field in research is the question of the Nash, Soviet nationalities, the non-Russian nationalities of the Russian Empire and the Soviet Union. And um, I teach some courses that deal with post-Soviet issues. My main research is on Azerbaijan, which is in the Caucasus, but I have substantial familiarity with, with all the, all the uh, republics. I would actually love to pick up with your, you know, your area of expertise and let you speak to the relationship between Ukraine and Russia. It's my understanding that there's been a civil war in kind of the eastern flank of Ukraine and that there is a very distinctive divide between Russian speakers and Ukrainian speakers in the country. Um, could you speak to how those cultural relations might influence the conflicts that we're seeing? Ukrainian, the Ukrainian language is quite close to the Russian language. And we don't always think about how much languages can change over time. But, um, I think Ukrainian in the last 150 years has probably become more distinctive, has probably moved farther away from, from Russian. But they are very close languages. They're both East Slavic languages. And in the period of the Russian Empire, Ukrainians were not recognized officially as a separate or distinct nationality. They were called um, Little Russians, Maloruski. And that was a way of indicating the official posture toward them, that they were essentially peasants living on the periphery. The word Ukraine comes from the East Slavic word Ukraina, meaning the periphery or the frontier. And the idea was they just spoke a peasant version of Russian and that it wasn't a separate language. Um, most Ukrainians um, are, or, or at least let me not say most, but a large portion of Ukrainians, certainly those on the eastern part of Ukraine, are Orthodox. They follow the Orthodox Church. Um, and so there, there's considerable similarity in language and religion and other aspects of culture as well. But around the middle of the 19th century, uh, Ukrainian intellectuals 
began to formulate a consciousness of being a separate people with a separate history and to assert that their language was not just a peasant dialect, but it was really a distinct language. And the the main historian is, was Mihailo Hrushevsky, and the primary poet who played an enormous role in the development of the Ukrainian language was Taras Shevchenko. And the Tsarist regime, initially, this was the era of Nicholas I, uh, and then his successors denied that these were true claims and arrested Shevchenko at one point and banned him from writing, kept him from getting paper or pen in his exile because they were so offended by his writing in what they considered to be this peasant dialect that wasn't really a real language. And And one of the key points that really annoyed the Russians and really strikes at the heart of the Russian historical identity is the dispute over a very early state of the 9th, 10th, 11th centuries called Kievan Rus. It's centered in Kiev, of course, today's Ukrainian capital. And when Russians started writing Russian history, they claimed that as part of their history. And the Ukrainians in the 19th century said, well, wait a minute, no, it, this is this is our history. And we know that when the Mongols came and burned Kiev and destroyed our state in, in the 1240s, our people dispersed. And sure, some of them went to the northeastern cities where Moscow was a, a small settlement at that point, but lots of them went straight west or they went southwest. And the experiences of subsequent centuries have made us a different people. And we've intermixed with all these, <clears throat> excuse me, these Westerners and with runaway serfs from Europe and, and, and other parts of Russia and Crimean Tatars who were living to the south of us. So <clears throat> we're, we're a distinct people and our language reflects it. And as far as Russian, you know, Russian history writing is concerned, historiography, they say, well, if you don't know anything about your own history going back before the 13th century or the 12th century, we're really sorry, but don't steal our history. And of course, this infuriated Russian intellectuals and the Russian ruling regime. And this strikes at Russian identity in a way that no other nationality really can because no nationality is trying to claim the same aspects of history that Russia strives to claim. And that's why there is this constant tension and you could trace it through the Soviet period and, and so on, <clears throat> but it is a huge bone of contention at present. And over the last couple of months, um, Putin himself has been saying, Ukraine is part of Russia, Ukrainians are Russians, there is no difference, and they need to be part of Russia, and all of this should be part of Russia. And so it's not as if this is only an academic point. This historical claim is politically relevant and emotionally and psychologically relevant today to Putin and to other Russian nationalists, which does not include all Russians and not all in the same way. 
but it is it gives a, a sharp edge to a problem that also does have strategic and political and economic aspects. But this is something that you really only see with Russia and Ukraine. professors, five college students, and local residents gathered in Amherst Center in support of Ukraine on Friday. Russia invaded the country on February 24th after months of threats and military buildup along the border. In an email to staff and students on March 2nd, UMass Chancellor Kumbul Subhaswamy called the invasion, quote, an assault on democracy itself and the fundamental international principles of the sovereignty of nations in peaceful coexistence, unquote. UMass sophomore Presley Forrest has strong ties to Ukraine and helped share the word of Friday's event with other students. My family lives in Ukraine. I've lived in Ukraine for quite a while um, and I have like really strong connections with it and like everything I have is basically there. So, you know, everything's been really difficult because of the war and, you know, it's really difficult. So we basically decided that like, you know, instead of moping all the time, like, I don't know, something should be created to bring a bunch of students together to talk about it or like just a gathering to have like other people with the same situation be able to discuss it. And it makes it a little less like alone-ish feeling to like have everyone be around. What I hope this accomplishes is that like most people who are ex really experiencing hardship because of this situation, economic, financial, you know, emotional, you know, really don't feel like they're doing it alone. Many attendees spoke of their concern for family members still in Ukraine. UMass management professor Bogdan Prokopovich is one of them. Also, I'm Ukrainian, and uh, uh, yeah, there are tons of emotions, tons of, uh, uh, you know, I don't understand why it has to, you know, has to happen. I still have family in Ukraine. I'm very worried about them, and I hope, uh, you know, th in this day and age, we can do something to stop uh, one deranged individual from you know, wreaking havoc on, on people. So. What brought you out here tonight? Um, I'm Ukrainian, my family is Ukrainian, uh, my dad lives in Kyiv, Ukraine. That's Dasha Sternberg. She's a junior at UMass and attended the event with a few friends. Um, so what's going on in the world directly impacts me. Um, and my friends were so gracious enough to come out here too and support me and my family and my family's country. It's been an emotional roller coaster. My friends can attest to this, they've been a witness. Like, it's so difficult to even put into words like the feeling because we're so far removed from the problem and people don't really think it's real or, I don't wanna say think it's real, but you know, it's almost like imposter syndrome because we're so far away from the problem. Um, but it's very real for me. I have to call my dad every couple of hours, make sure he's okay. He's lost electricity multiple times and my heart goes out to all the people of Ukraine right now, not just my dad. So my best friend is Ukrainian and of course, um, I'm not from this country, I'm from India, but I completely understand how it feels to not be where you are not at your home and something's going on back there. So it's very important for me to stand next to her and for her to know that I understand in whatever way, in whatever capacity I can, that I feel for her and for everyone back there. I'm half Ukrainian by blood, I've been to Ukraine twice. I have lots of friends and family there. I'm currently in a class focusing on the breakup of the Soviet Union and Central Asian politics, but we've changed direction recently. Um, and I've been um, every day, every hour, I'm trying to help with uh, limiting the spread of misinformation, especially among my Russian friends. And 
here trying to raise raise uh, more awareness because I've spoken to many people that I know and they don't even know what the basis of the war is. And I think any little effort can make a big difference for one person. That's Charlie Pierce. He's studying Russian and Eurasian studies at UMass and attended his Russian classes the day after the invasion. Uh, it was grim. We stopped our subject material coverage in one and spent the entire time discussing. There's also a Ukrainian from Ukraine, this generation, in that class, so that was, you know. Um, the other class, we spoke about it in a more removed, political, uh, analyzing kind of way. And, uh, yeah, so, and it's continued, but it's tapered a bit because the world does move. I'm hoping people who aren't affiliated with the region come by, and I'm hoping that any simple question can be answered. Um, if it's just learning about why they should care, um, and giving someone a reason to care. I think one person affects five, affects ten, and it goes on. Well, I really hope that after this war, when you know we say we're from Ukraine, no one asks what part of Russia that is. I wish people knew more of like the joyous kind of culture and the community. I mean, look at how many people are here today, and just the culture. Like, we love our family, we love our friends. Like, it's just a very happy community of people, and it's a peaceful country. So they don't deserve any of this. Students and kids my age, stand with Ukraine, support Ukraine in any way you can, donate where you can, and just do your part because nobody wants a world war. And if this was, you know, if the roles were reversed and it was like our country, everyone would be up in arms, right? So we need to support and show love for this country the same way we would anybody else. For WMUA News, I'm Katherine Hurley. And I'm Rebecca Pereira.